on the latest episode of BCC The Other Side. Our most recent out there conversation leads to an impromptu story of high strangeness about giant bones? That's right. So to listen, just go to patreon.com slash Bigfoot Collectors Club. It's Bigfoot. Club Scouts to a new episode of Bigfoot Collectors Club, the show where we talk to amazing guests about their personal paranormal history and share stories of high strangeness. I am your host, Michael McMillan. With me always is your other host, Bryce Johnson, and our super producer, Riley Bray. Whatever happened to the dancing man at Six Flags? I hope he's dead. <laughs> I hope that character's dead. I don't. Yeah. I don't want the actor to be dead. But yeah. right, right. What right. would be scarier? Coming out of like a UFO or waking up in an abduction room? If you like, what would be scarier? A, an alien gray or the Six Flags dancing guy? Hundred um, percent dancing guy. Way yeah, scarier. dancing guy. I yeah. would kick him right in his fucking dancing nuts. Because <laughs> the alien makes sense. You're like, yeah. okay, you know, yeah, like, oh, good here at we go. You know, but dancing guy, and you're yeah. on the gurney. No, <laughs> yeah, not good. Yeah. <laughs> not good. How often did you go up to Six Flags as a SoCal boy, Riley? As much as I could. Honestly, I had fond childhood memories of going there and drinking too much soda. Yeah, feeling sick after riding the Viper. Holding, yes. holding hands, holding hands, kissing, little, little kiss, you know? Oh man, there's nothing better when you're when you're coming into your own and you you got a little girlfriend at one of those parks and you're holding mm-hmm. hands and buying those iced slushy lemonades for. Oh, yes. uh, that's the best. That's the best time ever. I just this like the idea nice. of you telling your children, like your son, when he starts getting pubic hair, you're like, "Well, boy, you're coming into your own now. Don't be <laughs> scared. You you're just coming into your own." You come in into your own, son. Let's go up you to Magic Mountain. Your, it's time right. to go to Six Flags. We're heading to Valencia, boy. <laughs> Every boy goes to Six, Fa- Six Flags Magic Mountain and comes back a man. That's Grab like- your skirt and let's hit the road. That's right. <laughs> yeah, we had worlds of fun in Kansas City. And when I was in middle school, we used to call like couples that uh, showed too much PDA. Uh, we'd call, mm. we'd call them worlds of fun couples because that oh, was like yeah. everyone would get uh, there and they'd suddenly be like you know have their hands all over one another totally yeah as you do it's a rite of passage. Uh, yeah. Speaking of rites of passage, listeners, you're going through one right now. That's right, <laughs> wet hot alien summer two mm. summer abduction rolls yeah. into the steamy, sweaty, sexy month of August. That's right. Just like last episode, there is no guest this week. We are going 
deep diving into the second half of the abduction of Travis Walton. But before we return to Snowflake, Arizona, we have some clubhouse keeping to attend to. I want to thank everybody who wrote five-star reviews on iTunes and Apple Podcasts. Guys, as of recording, we are at 802 five-star reviews. You guys stepped it up this week. We are now less than 200 reviews away from making the BCC Jet Ski Special. We're getting there. We are getting there. Thank you, Club Scouts. Yeah, thank you, guys. It's it's attainable now. This this seems like it could really happen. Fuck yeah, it's attainable. Guys, dream it and achieve it. This Mm -hmm. this snowball... The snowball is like starting to av- avalanche into like a, a, a like a yeti tidal wave. Okay, we're gonna get keep this momentum going. Is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, yeti or not, it's coming. That's right, <laughs> Bryce. Nice. Why don't you Thank read you. us one of those five star reviews? Thank you. Of course, I'd love to. This is from Manageld, who writes to us: Come for Bigfoot and high strangeness. Stay for the charm and camaraderie. Whether talking about Bigfoot, collecting personal paranormal stories from an interesting and diverse group of celebrity guests, or telling stories of high strangeness from around the world, the BCC boys and Grace, Jen K, and other friends are absolutely charming. Open to a variety of opinions and theories, no matter how out there they may be. These guys are so endearing and entertaining. After a few episodes, they feel like old college friends and have a built and awesome community of fellow listeners. And Bryce totally needs a Kenny Powers mullet for the jet ski ride. Five stars. <laughs> Thank you. That's amazing. Wow. Yeah, that man, really warms the heart. That's so nice. Thank yeah. you. I love I'll the let shout the back out hairs to start growing out. Yeah. So. And I love the, just at least, like, if you got to make up for some of the length, like, get your back hair really bushy. Fuck you know yeah. what I mean? Down. Um, but I, I also appreciated the shout out to Grace and Grace Jen, and Jen, Jen, Jen. Yeah. Thank you. Friends of the show. Yeah. Manigelt, uh, for your five-star review. Guys, get those five-star reviews in. I also want to give a big thanks to those of you who have supported the show over at buymeacoffee.com. We very much appreciate it, especially during deep dive weeks when making the podcast is closer to a full-time job. You can find a link to our page in our link tree on our Instagram at Bigfoot Collectors Club and our Twitter at Bigfoot Pod. You can also, support the show by becoming a monthly patron over at the BCC, the mm-hmm. Other Side Patreon. Patreon.com slash Bigfoot Collectors Club, where a $5 pledge gets you three to five bonus episodes every month, plus mm-hmm. access to our back catalog of over 151 bonus episodes. Wow. Wow. You know what? If we do make that BCC jet ski special and we reach 1,000 patrons, Bryce, what are you going to do? I'm going to ride one of those jet skis in my birthday suit, Michael. <laughs> That's right. And you'll be able to watch it exclusively on the other side. Woo! <sighs> I'm ready. I don't know about you guys. I am. It's hot. Yeah. And I, I'm going to say, like, I know, like, we're, we're, we're trying to crawl our way back, right? We're all trying to crawl our way back. But mm-hmm, I mm-hmm. haven't had my summer fun yet. I really haven't had my true summer fun. And I don't want to get to September without riding a jet ski. 
Getting nice and cool, baby. You know what yeah. I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Do it for mm-hmm. Michael, guys. Come this. on. Yeah. I need this. I need to go to Shaver Lake. I've I've been hearing about it from Riley for, for a million years. What do you guys do? <sighs> right. I just feel like if we're all there, something out of the ordinary is going to happen. It's really close to the uh, 30, 39th, 39th parallel? 37th. Wow. 37th, 37th parallel. 37th parallel. Yeah. Very, very, very close. Fuck. Mm-hmm. Well... What do you Could guys you, think? Who, how, who would believe us? I know, right? If we They're came like, okay, back, sure, guys. Like, we did not make our podcast uh, schedule. We were abducted. We couldn't make the jet ski. You guys aren't going to believe this. You do know that's what's going to happen. We're going to get all the way up there, and then something's going to happen. We're not going to record it. No. We're willing to take polygraphs. <laughs> I, I know you were expecting that jet ski special, but we were abducted, guys. Well, I hope Riley's rolling the whole time it happens. Oh, yeah. That's radio gold, baby. Speaking of uh, abduction, what do you think? Should we get? Should we just say fuck it and hop straight into part two? Of this story, because guys, mm-hmm. it's big. I've been thinking about this story all week. I've been writing about yeah. this story all week. I don't know how many more middle-aged men I can listen to talk about an alien abduction experience <laughs> and possibly <laughs> being charged for murder. I need to get this processed through my body so we can move on to whatever comes next down the BCC pipeline. But yeah. um, this has been this is like this has been an enjoyable ride, and you know we're not. We're still, even after this episode, we're still not quite done with Travis Walton. Hint, hint. No. Yeah. Um, so uh, let's just get into it. Bryce, why don't you take us back to 1975, Snowflake, Arizona. On part one of the abduction of Travis Walton, we recounted the wet, hot tale of an Arizona logger, Travis Walton, who along with six other crew members, Kenneth Peterson, John Goulet, Dwayne Smith, Alan Dallas, and Steve Pierce, experienced something completely out of this world in the Sitgreaves National Forest. On November 5th, 1975, they encountered a glowing metallic craft, a real CS, that's classic saucer for the layman, hovering below the forest canopy while driving home from the job site. After getting out of the truck to take a closer look, Travis was blasted by a bright beam of energy that emitted from the base of the craft. Much to his co-worker's horror, Travis was momentarily levitated by the energy before his limp body was knocked back ten feet onto the hard ground. Fearing their friend had just been killed, Mike Rogers and his crew temporarily fled the scene. When cooler heads prevailed, they returned to the site, only to find Travis was no longer there. Once they got back into town, the men called the sheriff's department and reported the incident to Deputy Sheriff Chuck Ellison. Doubt and suspicion filled both his and Sheriff Gillespie's minds, as well as Travis's brothers, Don and Dwayne. Overnight, Travis's six friends had become possible murder suspects. I mean, and can you really blame the law enforcement? I mean, who in their right mind is going to believe a story like that, Riley? Um, yeah, no one, really. I mean, <laughs> I just like I, – I was thinking about it today, and I was just like that, – that moment of them in the interrogation room just breaking so quickly is just like so relatable and so human because you like agreed to be like, all right, we're not talking about the UFOs. But then like you're just like how like, – don't say it! Don't say it! Don't say it! But, like, it was a goddamn UFO straight out of the movies. 
Oh, God. I, mean, the, I feel so much better now. The okay. thing is, regard, whether this did happen or didn't happen, you have to respect the commitment these mm. men show to this story. You know what I mean? Definitely. Yeah. 100%. And there's been, there's been some chinks and stuff, and we're going to get into that at the end of this. But overall, it's just like these guys, if they're telling a lie... They are sticking to it. They are going to go down with the ship. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this one but, really doesn't read lie to me, though. No. It, just doesn't, it doesn't make sense for them to make that lie. And That's right. Motive. Motive. Yeah. We'll talk more about yeah. why they might have a motive, and it just doesn't hold water. Let's jump back in with Travis now. <laughs> There's a missing never been a person. moment. There's no. never been a moment where Bryce hasn't always come down firmly on the side of the person who <laughs> claims to be abducted by you know, he's an advocate there's never, you know there's never even like there's never even like yeah i mean it's possible we have to keep an open mind maybe that who knows I'll it's tell like you what i did i did uh flux on during doing research in this story you did come up yeah. with a few things that that cast a little shadow but i was quickly able to overturn that with you know finding out more about uh, sort of some of those skeptical viewpoints. And I'm going to be really happy when we get to uh, give our two cents on those. It's too bad we don't have Stanton Friedman anymore because oh, God rest his soul. He really acts like a true North for a lot of these stories. And I mm. find more than anybody else, if Stanton Friedman is saying this is credible and I find this credible, I tend to all line up with that opinion. You know? Yeah. yeah. He gave Travis Walton in his own words, an A plus that's a weird weird thing to get an a plus he, on. he was he was <laughs> giving job, him a, he was teaching him spanish though so it was like <laughs> yeah. he was his we high school spanish travis. teacher so that's that's where that we came did. from but gentlemen with travis walton now a missing person and his six co-workers prime suspects in his disappearance the police wanted answers and when offered the opportunity to give those answers and clear their names, all six men agreed to take a polygraph test administered by one Cy Gilson, considered to be one of the finest lie detector uh, administrators in the country. Bryce, you ran right over yeah. my joke. I put that in oh. there and you didn't do it. What? What's the joke? Oh, what's the, yeah, what's the I, I called him a one of the finest lie detector men <laughs> in the country. <laughs> I don't get he's it. What do you He's a lie detector man, you know, you call oh, He's like a lie, lie detector lies man. He's one of the finest lie detector men in the country. Oh, okay. Yeah, I, You were see, really so? in your early version well, of this, you were really like blowing up Cy Gilson's spot as like the coolest guy ever. Yeah, dude, and he's so the man. I slightly uh re, re you know, look, I well, I put my little spin well, on it and walked right over. Take that. Yeah. It's it's lie detector person though. Yeah, that's true. Lie detector person. Thank you. Much to everyone's surprise, they all passed. And the sheer gravity of the situation, or should I say, anti-gravity, hit the town of Snowflake, Arizona, like a ton of bricks. I know she, and walked, then, I know she played that one up pretty hard. Yeah. That wasn't mine. Five, now he's that really one's not mine. It. Yeah. Five days. <laughs> You're don't reveal how the sausage is made, Michael. Yeah, this way too far inside baseball at this point. Five days after the encounter, Travis's brother-in-law received a phone call. It was Travis, 
and he was asking for help. In this episode, we'll pick up from where we left off last week with Travis's return to Snowflake. We'll learn what happened to him after the alleged UFO blasted him in the forest, the story he told, and the media circus that ensued. And we'll touch upon the wave of skepticism that pushed back on Travis and the six other men involved with the incident. This is The Abduction of Travis Walton, Part 2, A Phoenix in Arizona. If he's gonna unce, I'm gonna yeah, air dude, horn. He, hey, you get an air horn. <laughs> Travis woke up to discover he was no longer in Sid Greaves National Forest where he'd encountered the flying saucer. He was lying face down in the road outside Heber, Arizona. Brought to consciousness by the cold night air. Travis rolled over just in time to see the lights go out from a 40-foot-long metallic disc that was hovering four feet over the pavement, its width greatly stretching beyond both sides of the road. After gliding silently for a few moments, the dark craft shot vertically into the air at a rapid speed and vanished into the night sky. Travis wrote about this moment in his book, The Walton Experience. The most striking thing about its departure was its quietness. It seemed impossible that something so large, moving through the atmosphere at such speed, would not have shrieked through the air, or even broken the sound barrier with a sonic boom. Yet it had been totally silent. Travis got to his feet and ran wildly into the town of Heber. After banging on a few doors to no avail, Travis found a payphone next to a gas station and called the closest person he knew with a telephone, his sister. Her husband, Grant, answered the phone. At first, he thought the call was a prank. After five days of Travis vanishing without a trace, it was assumed Walton was dead. But Travis broke into screams, pleading for help. Wait, it's me. It's Travis. Where are you? I'm at the Heber Exxon station. Grant tossed on a coat and headed out to Heber to get Travis, picking up Travis's brother Dwayne on the way. When the two men arrived at the Exxon station, they were shocked and elated to find Travis alive. Travis melted into Dwayne's arms like a broken child. He had lost at least 10 pounds, and his beard showed five days of growth. On the drive home, Travis was trying to get out what he'd seen, where he'd been, and who he had been with but he choked on the words. They were awful. White skin. Great big eyes. If that wasn't strange enough, the shock to everyone was that Travis thought it was still the night of November 5th. It wasn't until Dwayne pointed out Travis's beard growth did it kick in that he'd been gone for almost a week. But... Travis could only remember an hour and a half of what happened. After getting zapped by the UFO in the woods, Travis regained his consciousness inside the craft. At first, the poor logger thought he was in the hospital. He was lying on a table, there was an overhead light beaming down on him, and he was in a tremendous amount of pain, perhaps even mortally wounded. But as he came to, he looked around and saw the faces of strange alien beings gazing down at him. They're what we'd consider to be alien greys these days. But back in 1975, Travis had no clue as to what he was looking at. Travis described the beings as hairless, 
white-skinned humanoids with large, dark eyes, narrow nose, and slight mouth. They also had one other interesting trait. Space Oshkosh Bagosh suits. <laughs> Travis described these two beings to As It Happens host Barbara Frum in an interview shortly after the incident on November 24, 1975. They looked almost human. They were very white on their skin and hairless and in reddish-brown coveralls. No hair on the head, no eyebrows, no eyelashes. Weird. Coverall. I mean, how many times do we hear about space aliens wearing jumpsuits or uh, lacra tight skin body suits or coveralls? I think these aliens. Had I think it is because it's 1975 and they're brown that I just picture them being like corduroy, like uh, you know, with like uh, like what, what, what are they overalls? What are the ones? What would you wear with the yeah. kid with the pocket on the front and the little yeah overall flaps? Overalls. Yeah, yeah, yeah. overall I mean, bell bottom flare at the bottom. Yeah. <laughs> Like Mork and Mindy striped shirts yeah. underneath. Oh yeah. my god! Now, did you did you pick up on with Travis's recollection of the ship that dropped him off? It seemed to be a very different ship than the one that picked him up, abducted him. Uh, the one he's describing that dropped him off it was much larger. Um, so uh, you yeah, know, two it was ships he, there. Hmm. He said the craft that dropped him off was at least. I think he said off the top of my head, I think he thought it was about 40 feet mm-hmm. wide and about 14 feet uh, thick, deep. Um, and the lights went out on it really quickly. He said it was like hovering over the road and then stretched far out beyond the road into this like rocky crevasse over this rocky crevasse. And he could see this like almost mirror like reflection in the night. Um, as it just hovered there and again hovered there really silently and we're gonna get into this we're gonna find out in a moment that there were definitely more than one type of craft on hand and that probably what travis and the men encountered was some kind of smaller scout ship yeah hmm. you know i will go ahead a quick Riley. question when you guys say heber are you talking about heber utah is that no arizona Arizona. Oh, there's another Heber in Arizona. There must be. There, so there's Heber, Arizona, and it's it. It's funny because he says that um, he thinks that the aliens dropped him off there because it's a smaller town, and it would have been. Uh, it was also closer than Snowflake f- to where they were at, and he thought mm. that it was easier for them to drop him off without being without them being detected. <laughs> And so it's we're just heading a, that way anyway. Yeah, we'll just yeah. drop you off in Heber. Yeah. That cool, bro. <laughs> yeah, but he Heber felt, is cool with us. It's funny his his story goes from that being of abject terror to now he's just a nice old man that thinks these aliens were doing him a ton of favors. You know what I mean? <laughs> and it's like I still I beg to differ, but uh, we'll yeah. get into it. Um. Did you want to talk about how he described how emotionless and expressionless yes. these beings were? And, and 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 he said, I think I've even heard him say on a on a podcast or an interview that he considered that that these beings who have evolved to the point where they communicate 
telepathically and their expressions have become obsolete, explaining those tiny pocket mouth sayings, you know, they lose those muscles because they no longer speak language. They just use telepathy. Right, right. The idea that like, so his theory as to why these beings seem so cold and emotionless is because they're all speaking telepathically. And once you're on the level, evolved to the level where you can communicate with somebody else just using your mind, all the expression you need is there in telepathy. So you don't need any physical gestures to help make your point when when you're dropping information directly into somebody's head. Right. Speaking of, uh, I mean, that's where that expression comes from. See what I mean. You know what I mean? If you could just see images in your head. It came from the Travis Walton abduction case. Yes, that's That's right. right. A lot of people don't know that. Bryce is a part-time linguistic historian. (laughs) I wish he'd gotten, I wish he could have just pried open one of their mouths and taken a look and see if there was a pocket inside of it, you know? Check the pockets. But this is all pretty consistent with the Betty and Barney Hill aliens, with the Roswell bodies, if those existed. Um, that we're, we're in where we've been in for the, the middle of this entire summer, we're like in prime gray territory, but I would like to say that the way that they're described, the whiteness of the skin, the almost alabaster quality, these guys seem to me less like the rebellious renegade grays and more of the good grays from Zeta Mm. Reticuli, that these guys might be part of the intergalactic alliance that's trying to help earth evolved and evolve into a more enlightened state nerd talk (laughs) drained of energy and terrified travis stumbled off the table and lashed out at his captors managing to weakly shove one alien into the other he was like i was really weak i felt i was was dying and he said he just like barely pushed one of the aliens and it went flying into the other one (laughs) Take it easy, bro. (laughs) He snatched a long glass cylindrical rod from a nearby shelf and tried breaking it to swing wildly as he cursed at the creatures. The gesture worked, at least temporarily, as the alien entities left the room bearing to the right. So Travis made a left into the ship's dim corridors in an an attempt to escape. Now, I'm going to stop you here because I love this detail and i've heard him describe it on on a on an interview he just um when he was asked you know oh you 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 grab something off what'd you grab he said a rod uh and i just swung it at it but here we have this idea again of inside a craft a rod or a wand used by the aliens on abductees we hear it over and over this idea of a magical wand only this time travis is using it as a weapon maybe that's why they ran out of the room because He's got like, wand. Yeah, it's like that thing's loaded. That makes that makes like children in public parks in Russia uh, vanish into thin air. You know what I mean? So or like, levitate. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you got to run away from that thing. Also, here's a reminder: if you've seen Fire in the Sky, and we will be watching and discussing it over on the other side in the near future. So come join us for that. The abduction stuff in the, in the movie was a lot more horrific than what happened, according to Travis. Not. Not that he wasn't completely scared out of his mind. He was. He just wasn't dropped in goo. He didn't have a needle shoved in his eye. He didn't drop kick any of the alien grays, revealing like another face underneath its exterior. Hollywood really <laughs> spiced things up when they adapted his book into a movie, which, I mean, is great. It, I love that. It's also kind of a shame because 
while I can see why they made those narrative choices and it makes for a good horror thriller, I think what he encountered was arguably weirder than all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but then you end up with like a communion with uh, with Christopher Walken. <laughs> well, <laughs> that's true. Yeah. Totally that, different movie, right? But I th- but that's one of the things I love about Communion is it really does capture the weird dreamlike absurdity. Totally goes to Circus Town yeah. abductions. Yeah, so. I, yeah. I would have loved to see Travis Walton just push an alien though, like at the start of a bar fight. Like that <laughs> I wish Hollywood would have given us that. You know? Just slides <laughs> him, holds him by the scruff of the neck and slides him all the way down the bar, like wiping yeah. all the glass, and then just like dunks him into the front of the jukebox. Right. But he's all wobbly and woozy the whole time too. You know, he's barely holding it together, you know. So one of the first things Walton sees in the ship interior is this large room with a single chair accompanied by some dials and knobs overlooking a bay window. Outside the window was a field of stars. Pretty clear that he was on the bridge of some kind of spaceship. Mm -hmm. And then another alien entered the room But instead of a Zeta Reticulan type of gray, it was a tall, human, male-looking alien. If you look at the illustrations, it it was Riley. Like, Riley walked in. (laughs) Nice. He was very normal-looking. Travis said he would have completely passed as a person on Earth. But this Riley alien was wearing a fishbowl-like helmet... And when Travis started asking him questions, the being simply looked at, took him by the arm and ushered him out of the room. And Travis was wondering if maybe he couldn't hear him because he couldn't hear him through the helmet. He wasn't answering. <laughs> you know, I mean, just like also this uh, idea of like this weird, almost like Major Matt Thompson, like astronaut, junior cadet space helmet. Like it's a mm-hmm. total fish. Maybe, maybe it's just in the illustrations that I've seen, but it's so weird that this if this thing was really wearing like one of those fishbowl helmets it's so childlike those are the words he used fishbowl so the man lead led travis through a large room almost the size of a small hangar where travis could see two parked spacecrafts oval in shape and chrome colored and Mm -hmm. i think one of those was the thing that uh dropped him off at the at the end of the adventure um then he was led into another room because those were also different than the ones that he saw with the paneling that zapped him in the woods. Right, right. So then he was led into another room where three more human-looking beings, two men and a woman, laid him down and placed an oxygen mask type of instrument over his nose and mouth. Try as he may, Travis couldn't get any of these strange people to answer his desperate questions. In fact, none of the aliens, the humans, or the greys made any attempt to communicate with him verbally or telepathically. Yeah, which is a little out of the ordinary. Usually mm-hmm. they, they communicate telepathically, but Travis says, quote, Despite my barrage of questions, they made no vocalizations, nor was I aware of any telepathic communication during my entire experience. And with that, Travis blacked out. This is the only memory he had of his time aboard the spacecraft. Now, I'm curious about this, Bryce. I want to know what you thought about this. Because Mm -hmm. he says he remembers about an hour and a half, maybe two hours of the whole thing. But the only story he really tells is this. So I don't know how you fit all of this into an hour and a half unless 
he was hanging out in that captain's chair for a long time before <laughs> Riley came in and got him. You know right. what I mean? Looking at, I, looking at the knobs and dials. Cool. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, sweet. <clears throat> hey, man, can you no. not touch that? That's my soundboard. Yeah. I, I love this idea of it being three alien greys. They leave the room. He follows. He ends up in some room on his own. And when they come back, they come back as almost human looking, like something more manageable for Travis. Like they obviously they obviously picked up on he, he was in extreme distress and they were like, quick, guys, let's change form. And they're like, and they turned into uh which is, you know, hey, we've seen their comic books. Let's put a fishbowl helmet on, and and uh, but I, isn't that weird? I mean, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, I think I, I, I'm. Look, anytime you have more than one type of alien hanging out on a spaceship is always strange. But <laughs> Fair you enough. know, as I've been reading, if there is this intergalactic federation of different type of species, the Zeta right. Reticuli, uh, good guys, like to hang out with the Pleiadians, who are like the Nordics. Right. So it's possible that there was like two types of aliens on this mission and the graves were like, you deal with him. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I don't very know. Good. It's, good point. Someone called Jeff. Get him in here. <laughs> we're but done. I, but I absolutely see what you're saying, Bryce. I absolutely think it is also possible that these things sort of shift their appearance or shift the wavelength that they're projecting psychically into his mind to make them seem something a little less threatening but you'll notice that like they really didn't do much to him there was no torture here that he Mm -mm. was he was just fucking scared out of his like travis this whole time is just a scared little rabbit you know what i mean that's that's exactly how he was like a wild critter that was plucked out and put into a scenario that he could not comprehend um and, and that's and about that, as truthful as it gets right yeah, there. You're yeah. just you're just scared mm-hmm. as fuck. Yeah, yeah. So we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll find out what happened in the aftermath of Travis's return to Snowflake, Arizona. It's hard to tell what exactly took place over those five days because as soon as they slipped the oxygen-type mask over Travis's face, he blacked out. I think he might have been in some kind of suspended animation that whole time. Yeah, I think you're right. But I the next picture thing... him in like a tube, you know, like a tank. Like yeah, a ma- yeah. Mat- matrix, matrix tank, yep. Yeah, or uh, that one of those are like, I was thinking more like Luke in the back to tank, at the you know, after oh, he gets that, attacked by cooler. the Wampa in Empire totally. Strikes Back. Like hyperbaric chamber kind yeah. of vibes. Well, yeah. and there's this theory too that what they were doing. We, we, we'll talk. I'm getting a little ahead of ourselves, but that the, the, they 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 were healing him that whole time mm. from the mm. beam that shot him. That that was yes. an accident, and that why the reason they were keeping him is he was basically basically they just wanted to put him in like space hospital for a little while until they right. felt he was like healthy enough to go back home. Didn't mean to blast you, bro. <laughs> Our bad. Our bad. <laughs> the next thing travis's know travis knew is he was being dropped off on the side of the road right however it's clear by travis's weight loss that he was gone for quite some time quote i don't recall ever being fed i was only conscious for two or three hours out of the five and a half days hypnosis has been trying to see if there's any blocked memory there or if Perhaps I was just totally unconscious for that time. 
but there was a mark on my arm that suggested intravenous feeding. Now, it would appear that while aboard the craft, the concept of time seemed to take on a different meaning, because when Travis was returned to wherever it was he was taken, he was dropped off on the side of the highway, and in his mind, he'd only been gone for an hour or so, when in reality, he was gone for five days. So what are you saying here, Bryce? Are you saying that he was actually gone for longer than five days? And it seemed like an hour to him or he was gone for like the fairy realm version of an hour. Like he was only gone for an hour and a half. But then when he but that time passed like faster in our world. Is that what you're implying here? I think so. so. I think so. You don't think he was like you don't think he was in space hospital for for almost a week. You think he was only gone for an hour and a half, and when they dropped him back off, it was five days later. Because we know both. that he was gone for five days. No, I'm saying both. End. Yeah, I'm I'm saying time is different. It, it's fairy time, right? Perhaps it's in some other dimension. Um, you know, this is the this is that fascinating aspect. You know, physicists. I like out- to weigh in on this. I yes, just, yes. Go um, ahead, Riley. So first that you think like, okay, if he's traveling very fast, then he's experiencing time differently. So maybe it's that, right? The, the craft mm-hmm. is moving. But the thing is, is that he, his physical symptoms still kept up with our time because of yes. the beard growth and the mm-hmm. weight loss. Yes. Mm-hmm. So his body did experience that amount of time passing. So that yes. seems to say that it's consistent. That's where yes. I'm at with this. And I think he was just conscious for a tiny bit of that time and was in like some sort of stasis for the rest of those five days. Crazy. (laughs) Physicist Albert Einstein's theory of special relativity proposes that time is an illusion that moves relative to an observer. An observer traveling near the speed of light will experience time with all its after effects, boredom, aging, etc., much more slowly than an observer at rest. But I agree with Riley. I agree with Riley here. The the weight loss in the beard says he was staying in real time. Yeah, I realized that also, I should have read your guys' script so I didn't step on that. Right? No, no, you no. You didn't. No, you I'm had a, to a different take it. on it. That's but great. But who the fuck knows? I mean, honestly. Also, maybe he was hanging out in a cabin this whole time. We don't know. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> like we could be debating all of this stuff, and he was just hiding out, eating cold beans. You know, yeah. we don't <laughs> drinking. Uh, what? What do they drink in uh, Snowflake, Arizona, in 1975? Natty Light, perhaps Blue Ribbon? PBR, probably. PBR, yeah. Yeah. Having a PBR. Um, (laughs) So how did... A question that comes up, Bryce. Yeah. Did Travis remember all this stuff, or was he regressed? Well, both, actually. So Travis never had any loss of memory from his actual experience aboard the craft, But when he was dropped off, he was so catatonic, so traumatized from this experience that he he really couldn't get the words, the concepts, or the ideas out. It wasn't until, you know, and they tried to get him to take a lie detector test right after the fact, but his brother Dwayne saved him from that, saying, whatever you put, whatever kind of test you give him right now is going to come back with all kinds of false imprints i mean yeah because you know, i can polygraph, barely talk polygraph reads stress and it was so clear yeah. that he was completely traumatized by what happened yeah that's right. right so they finally hooked him up with uh w- with this psychiatrist who did a do a, a hypnotic regression session with him i i forgot to take the note of the psychiatrist but it's in the movie travis 
which is I highly recommend. But anyway, he was saying through that regression session, he was able to calm himself down and and communicate verbally all that he ex- experienced aboard that craft. And after that, that gave him a tremendous sense of relief of just getting it off his chest for the very first time. Do you want to read that quote that he has on his website? Yeah. I did not recall any experiences under hypnosis that I could not remember before. The hypnosis did help me verbalize my experience in greater detail without being overwhelmed by anxiety, but did not help me regain any lost memories. That's great. Uh, I'm looking up. Oh, Dr. James Harder was the name of the hypnotist that that, uh, did all this stuff. I knew I had it here in my notes. Okay, I'm just coming back to the doc, guys. It's too much inside baseball, but better being a little inside baseball than inside a spacecraft. (laughs) Am I right? I mean, am I right or am I right? (laughs) Am I right or am I right? Um, Scrolling back down, catching up, and where are we? Here we go. Maybe mark this and cut this part out. I know you won't, Riley, because... I might. I might. We'll yeah. see. Okay, great. Depends if it makes me laugh when I'm editing, then I won't. <laughs> but if it doesn't, then I, then I will. Thank you. Now, obviously, everyone was happy that Travis was alive, especially his family and the six other men in the crew that had been under suspicion of murdering their friend and hiding the body. But accepting Travis's story... That was a tall order. Nevertheless, the incident set off a media blitz, and the circus came to Snowflake. An AP report the day following the incident read, Travis Walton, who purportedly vanished in a bluish ray of light and then returned to Earth, repeated his story about being taken off in a spacecraft in a meeting Tuesday with the Navajo County Sheriff. Walton's brother said today, Dwayne Walton said that he and his brother met with Sheriff Martin Gillespie about midnight in a private medical facility here whose location he would not disclose. The sheriff wanted to view Travis personally and close the book on the missing persons report, end quote. Walton said, he said Travis repeated his story about being taken off in a spacecraft one week ago and having contact with strange creatures. Walton said he believes his brother's story. As for the possibility of a hoax, people are entitled to think what they want, Walton said. According to Sheriff Gillespie, As soon as I laid down in bed, the phone rang. It did not stop until daylight or after. I was called by Canada, I was called by England, I was called by Japan, I was called by Russia, I was called by several Asian countries. Call, 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 call all night long. Everybody wanted a piece of this story. Scientists, UFO groups, regression enthusiasts, and if Travis didn't give them an interview or subject himself to their tests, they immediately turned on him. Well, think about it. The whole world was waiting at large. The whole world had caught wind of the story when, you know, six loggers came back saying our friend was abducted by a UFO. And they're all watching this story. So when Travis fucking returns, it's almost like a mic drop moment for the entire world uh, who's watching this story with, uh, you know, awe. Yeah, because how often is it that something like this happens and the person, like, wanders back into town five days later? Dude, I mean, let alone, like, it's enough of a story if those guys had just lost him and didn't have an excuse. It's another thing entirely when these guys lose him and their excuses he was abducted by aliens. Right. You know? And yeah. then he comes back. I mean, this is 
it's crazy. That is, it is really crazy he was gone that long and came back, unless this was some sort of elaborate hoax. Um, one of the things that I also liked, too, was that there was possibly government yes. coming in and sneaking around. Like, Mike Rogers, or actually, I think it was John Gallette in the Travis documentary talks about how um, there were these dark Plymouths uh, driving around town with matching rims and two guys in dark suits. So there was like this total like MIB quality um, mm-hmm. to this 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 part of the media blitz that followed. And um, I think he's like, yeah, you could just tell those like boring, ugly cars that they drive around that they were G-men. <laughs> yeah, know? dude, not surprised at all. So as we touched upon in part one, all six men passed their polygraph test administered by expert Cy Gilson. And later, Travis and even his brother Dwayne passed multiple polygraph tests as well. You know, just for clarity's sake, you know, people will often say, well, yeah, they passed because they were really only being asked by law enforcement if, one, they had injured or murdered Travis. To which, of course, they could reply no and pass since they were all in on it and they knew it was a hoax. And I say bullshit. I actually saw uh, some of the questions administered by Cy, and right there, question number four on that test was, did you tell the truth about actually seeing a UFO last Wednesday when Travis Walton disappeared? And that question would have been asked multiple times on the same test to get a conclusive result. I mean, um, that's a pretty direct question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's direct as it gets. Yeah, uh, he, would, first, he would bounce back and forth between, did you murder Travis Walton? No. Did you cut up Travis Walton's body? You know, or whatever. And then he'd be like, did you see a UFO? Yes. Did you murder Travis Walton? No. Do you know where Travis Walton is? No. Did you do something to Travis Walton's body? No. Did a UFO shoot Travis Walton with a beam of light? Yes. Like, that was the ty- that was what the questioning was like. Like, Fucking back crazy. and forth in between two different versions of the stories. You know, one of the first polygraph experts to review the results was a man named Edward Gelb, who in 1978 was the president of the American Polygraph Association. He concluded, after reviewing those results, that in order for six people to pass a polygraph under false pretense would be at odds of something to like a million to one. And I, now I'm excited about the idea of us making baseball cards of famous polygraphed administers. So we've got like Cy Gelson, <laughs> Edward Gelb, oh, Ledge. That oh, would Ledge. be great. That would be so good. Nobody gave Polly like old Cy. Uh, oh my God. But you know what? I mean, isn't that sufficient evidence? I mean, yeah. I mean, we talked we, about it last doing? episode. I'm convinced. Yeah. Yeah. What are we doing yeah. convicting people and condemning them to death on the basis of less testimony than that? Because that's what we're doing. You know, even legendary UFO researcher Dr. J. Allen Hynek weighed in on the controversial subject, saying, quote, there is no substantiation brought against Travis. Hynek, who was the head of the Center of UFO Studies at the time, added, he has been made the subject of a lot of unnecessary and unfounded accusations. There seems to be little support for the accusations made against him. So, as we mentioned at the very beginning of this story in our last episode, this case is not without its controversy. There have been multiple attempts to debunk the case, especially by a man named Philip J. Class. Yeah, that's right. That's right. But first, Michael, before we get into class, let's review 
the legendary ufologist Stanton Friedman's Four Rules of Debunking. Number one, don't bother me with the facts. My mind's made up. Number two, what the public doesn't know, I'm not going to tell them. Number three, if you can't attack the data, attack the people. And number four, do your research by proclamation. Investigation is too much trouble. Stan Freeman does sound like he needs to get laid a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) Whatever, man. I think he was a good I'm on his side, but like, like, let's just lighten up a little bit, Stan. Um, (laughs) So class was one of these horn-rimmed glasses, stuffed shirts that was on a mission in the 50s, 60s, and 70s to debunk UFOs and paint witnesses and contactees as cranks and kooks. This guy for whatever reason, was not open to the idea that UFOs were real. He was a real swamp gas in you saw Venus kind of guy. And in fact, mm. I think he was he was a guy who sort of originated some of that stuff, you know? Wow. So Philip, Philip J. Class was senior avionics editor for Aviation Week and Space Technology, a magazine or a publication based out of D.C., And after Walton's case made national headlines, Class set out to destroy the story. He started spinning a tale that the whole story was a hoax cooked up by Mike Rogers' crew to get out of their Turkey Springs logging contract, which was putting them in a deep financial hole because even though they were working in November, the team wouldn't get paid until the job was finished in the spring contract was allegedly killing them and the crew class decided came up with this story to claim that they couldn't return to the worksite outside of reasons beyond their control therefore being eligible to collect 10 percent of paid earnings that were withheld and get paid before spring yeah which is just ridiculous and, and skeptics love to latch on to this fanatical idea that all seven of these men were just plain old liars and they were willing to make up this outlandish story uh, just to save 10% fine on their logging contract. Cheaters, liars, hoaxers. God forbid they were just honest, hardworking, blue-collar men who tried as best they could to truthfully report what they saw and experienced. So Class thought they got the idea for the scam from the movie about the Betty and Barney Hill abduction and an adaptation of the book, The Interrupted Journey, called... The UFO incident uh, that starred James Earl Jones as Barney Hill. And uh, that movie aired on TV just a few weeks earlier on October 20th, 1975. Now, ironically enough, if you recall from episode 100, Betty and Barney Hill were also accused of getting the idea for their story from an episode of The Outer Limits that aired a week or two before their abduction in 1961. (laughs) Fucking incredible, right? Like, Travis saw that TV show, and he's like, oh, in two weeks, let's stage one of the biggest UFO hoaxes ever known. And (laughs) in the week leading up, I'm going to teach you all how to pass a polygraph. Bullshit. (laughs) Cognitive psychologist Susan Clancy also noted the rise in alien abduction claims following the movie, and cites classes' conclusions that... After viewing this movie, any person with a little imagination could now become an instant celebrity, concluding that one of those instant celebrities was Travis Walton. Don't belittle his imagination. I think it's pretty big. (laughs) 
Yeah. Yeah, I guess so. Look, one could easily argue that Mike Rogers and his specialized logging crews were highly trained and respected by the National Forest Service. Wait a minute. One could easily argue or you could easily argue. I'm going to easily argue uh, that they were highly trained and respected by the National Forest Service for their years of timber stand improvement and limiting fire danger. A rugged and dangerous job that saw him successfully complete multiple contracts, Michael. Mike Rogers was quoted as saying... We were always a little behind on the contracts. You just bust your butt over the last few days and you get caught back up. Not a big deal. Or actually, that was John Goulet. Really standing up for the working man this week. I God, appreciate yeah. it. Love it. Yeah. I'll tell you what, though. This version of the story would make an excellent stoner action comedy. Totally. <laughs> These guys uh, hoaxing this uh, UFO to get out of their logging contract. Oh, that's, yeah. like, that's good stuff. Class wrote that during the five days Travis was allegedly aboard a UFO somewhere in space, he was really hiding out in a cabin owned by his mother in the woods not too far from the job site. The puncture wound on the back of Travis's elbow? The one where a possible IV had been injected? Well, that obviously was from Travis injecting LSD. Yeah, he's not making that up. That's what Class said. Yeah. Yeah. But also, that guy does not know how you do LSD. No, doesn't know that. how you do LSD. Also, he's up there shooting acid, eating beans. He Liar. doesn't need to take LSD to come up with a story about a UFO. Like that, that devil's lettuce he's putting in his veins. He's putting a hat on a hat here. It doesn't. So criminal investigators looked into the allegations and they found no evidence of a grift. The contractors who hired Mike Rogers and company even said there would have been no way he could have benefited from this event. In fact, it had only been a bad thing for the job overall. And Travis and the crew said they would take more lie detector tests. They said to class, listen, if we take a lie detector test and pass, you'll pay for it and you'll get the answer that you want. If we take the test and we fail, we'll pay for the test and you'll be right. So you have nothing to lose Win-win. here. But class never took them up on the offer. Now, you may remember Steve Pierce. He was the youngest guy in the group, the one who was 17 at the time, uh, who was the first person to be interrogated when Gillespie and Deputy Sheriff uh, Chuck Ellison thought that maybe there was something going on here that was a little fishy. Uh, later, uh, he was offered $10,000 to rebuke the story and call it a hoax, which would have been a handsome sum back in the 70s. Class even flew out to Texas where Steve had relocated to try to get him to take the money, but Steve Pierce refused. Wow. So why was Class so hell-bent on debunking this story? There's evidence that he had connections to the NSA and the CIA. That's it's right. possible that the $10,000 even came from the government to crush the story. Deputy Ellison even said that when Class contacted him, he claimed to be working with the government. So Class may have been running some type of intelligence operation. Yep. Stan, Stan Friedman uh, in the Travis Walton documentary talks about how the government really got good with doling out disinformation during World War II, and it was aimed against, you know, the Axis powers. And then, after the war ended, and during the Cold War, they were not only uh, applying it against the Russians, but also, you know, against U.S. citizens as well, to cover up, you know, national security interest stuff and and, uh, intelligence operations. Yeah. You know, in researching this story, and I've always been a believer in 
Travis Walton, but you know, I, I wanted to hear <clears throat> some of what the skeptics were saying, and 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 I gotta admit, this one thing really kind of took me back for a second because 30 years after Travis's book, The Walton Experience, uh, today commonly referred to as Fire in the Sky, was released, Walton appeared on a Fox game show called The Moment of Truth, and he was asked if he was in fact abducted by a UFO on November 5th, 1975, to which he replied, yes. Now the polygraph test determined they hold that information and then in front of a live studio audience, they reveal that, Travis, you were lying. Travis responded to the embarrassing incident with, well, first he said, I mean, he was kind of taken back, uh, but then he wrote uh, one of the polygraph administrators Administers or men, as Michael calls him. A lie detector man. A lie detector man. <laughs> he wrote him a letter, and uh, and this kind of eased my my disbelief as well. Your, so, uh, your um, breaking heart. My breaking little heart. Uh, Travis said, quote, I'm no fool. I knew that the show's public lore was to familiarize the audience with the contestants' friends and family and then shockingly disgrace him with a key failed question came back home and my wife had me retested with the most rigorous new tests we could find. I passed two different new tests flawlessly. Uh, a court-certified polygraph expert back in 2004, shortly after the show debuted, began with, quote, the polygraph aspect of the show has no validity whatsoever and this test format will not determine truth or deception. Um, and so and I then, think that's pretty revealing. And, and, you know, look, they offered Travis had recently, you know, been laid off from his work. And the next thing he gets is a phone call offering twenty five thousand dollars to come on this show. I think he knew right away. He's like, fuck, what am I going to do? Need the money, but I've got everything to lose and nothing to gain but cash. But man. Well, and as we know, uh, three of us who've all been in front of cameras before, it can be nerve wracking. Yeah. Yeah, well, I think it's I think it's set up to fail. I'm wondering yeah, if that sounds more sinister. Yeah, like it was like a, they're paying him off to go be like publicly humiliated mm. and debunked. And oh, totally, it, it. totally. There's yeah. a there's a spot in the letter too where he's like, I also take umbrage with the fact that none of your contestants seem to get past the twenty five thousand dollar mark, and that to which a producer <laughs> responds, Yeah, we're working on that. And it's, so it's like, <laughs> Yeah, okay. I'm wondering if this is the same show where. Um, uh, Bob Hieronymus passed that lie detector test saying that he wore the the, the monkey suit in the Patterson-Gimlin footage. Interesting. Uh, so what's the concept? Is. So I, I guess I'm not familiar with the show. It's just like if you – it's sort of like who wants to be a millionaire and if you can – Yeah, they ask you a series of, the uh, uh, of embarrassing questions leading up to the big one of why you're there. So they would find a contestant that's been – you know, some big public contestant like Travis Walton is is the perfect contestant to ask him about the UFO thing, or or like Bob Hieronymus to ask him if he wore the the costume in the. Uh, you know, they're looking for big, uh, right? Like Jerry o. J. Springer Simpson. moments. Yes, exactly, exactly. There you go. So, yeah. and just recently on March nineteenth, two thousand twenty one. Mike Rogers, now he was the boss of the crew, you'll recall, posted a signed affidavit on his Facebook page withdrawing his account. What? 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 He said, I, Michael H. Rogers, being of sound and rational mind, do hereby give notice that I am no longer to be considered a witness 
to Travis C. Walton's supposed abduction of November 5th, 1975. I mean, how crazy is that? This was like three months ago, and this case is still hitting news cycles. Uh, but you know what? When pressed about why he made that statement in the comics section, Mike responded, No, it, w- it wasn't a scam or a hoax, as far as I know. But you never know. <laughs> like, what the fuck is this guy talking about? <laughs> Did it happen? Didn't happen? But... You know, it just seemed Paul, like he didn't want to be a part of it anymore. Well, and I'll, and we're going to get to that. Paul Seaburn reported this story at Mysterious Universe and did a great job and noted that in the comic comments and counter comments on the post, especially the back and forth between Rogers and Travis Walton himself. Oh, dude, Travis got involved? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> Can you imagine that, seeing a <clears throat> Facebook argument between Travis Walton oh, man. and You're Mike like Rogers? You're witnessing headline news. Yeah, it's incredible. Oh, boy. Uh, but they suggested that he suggested it was a, a personal vendetta is at the source. And why? Well, that's pretty easy because the vendetta is, not surprisingly, about money. That's right. It appears there's talk of a remake of Fire in the Sky. And Travis Walton talked about it, talked about it on the Joe Rogan experience as well. And so obviously there's some type of remake in the work. And uh, and it's raising a few hairs and, and ruffling a few feathers, it sounds like. But again... Well, so- you know, what's money's the, at the root of this thing. What's the thinking there that um, maybe that like, Mike? Yeah, maybe Mike's not being asked to participate in the remake of the film, or uh, or is it he's doing a big back down in order for them to plead for him to come back, and then he they, he has something to negotiate. I don't know. I also read on that same article that Mike Rogers is releasing some sort of publication of his own about the event or something like that. Huh. So, uh, you right. know, controversy, controversy, controversy. Stay tuned for that. Even though Travis has never changed his story for 45 years, there remain skeptics close to the case. According to an AP News story, Sheriff Gillespie told reporters both brothers and their mother, Mary Kellett, are firm believers in UFOs and that he has, quote-unquote, not overlooked the possibility of a hoax. Yet, yet, Riley, some possible physical evidence remains. Yes, this is some great evidence as far as I'm considering. Uh, So, Riley, in the summer of 2014, Ben Hansen, a former FBI agent and evidence expert, uh, led a field expedition back to the original site where the incident took place in the Sitgreaves National Forest. They took tree core samples uh, from the surrounding site. Now, the results were shocking because the trees were producing wood fiber at 30 times a greater rate than they had in the previous 85 years. The hypothesis? That the cell growth in the trees towards the direction of the craft after that blast was caused by radiation. Not only that, but Hansen and his team took it one step further, looking for any scientific studies done on the correlation of extreme radiation and tree growth. And guess what? They found several, but one in particular, a paper published held particular and significant interest. Any guesses as to what event uh, that paper was focused on, Riley? That's exactly right. The Chernobyl nuclear meltdown in Russia. A university out of Poland did a study in 1997 that found that trees that were exposed to radiation after Chernobyl had grown up to, 
three times in volume of accelerated growth as compared to previous years. I mean, come on. The weight of that evidence alone. That's really with something. It. Yes, that's something. It's also just such clever, like, mystery solving. Yes. Like, really, it's like, let's go in and study the trees. And like, oh, that's and fucking it, really cool. It, it even so did smart. a weird thing where the, si- the, the sides of the trees that were uh, facing where the craft had allegedly been floating, those sides of the trunks elongated. Like stretched out towards the radiation epicenter, wow. basically. So yeah. if you were to look at them from the top down, if you were to cut the cut the trunk, I'm they would look you a kind of right egg now. shaped, where the the Some elongated part was pointing towards where the UFO was. I just sent a picture to our group text. So, whoa, yeah, that's wild. We'll post this like uh, photo in the Instagram as well. Yeah, so yeah, they Bryce, look like guitar picks. Yeah, they do. <clears throat> Those would be cool guitar picks for giants. Um, Ooh, Bryce, that'd be great. <laughs> you fall firmly in the believe it category, right? I do. I I I do. I do on this one. I something took place. Those men all saw and experienced something. And look, the, you know, this is this is strange for me because I I experienced this was with Roswell, right? Like, so my personal philosophy and and an ideology and hypothesis on all this strange phenomena usually goes to the to the woo woo wookie right like interdimensional and and uh, dream state uh, lucidity and or blah 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 but this seems to be fucking nuts and bolts picking someone up and dropping them back off very Roswellian but yeah I, I do believe uh, you you cannot watch that documentary. Travis and I highly recommend that if you're interested in this story, uh, go watch that documentary. You can't hear these men talk about that experience and and look in the, their face through a television and call them liars. I will say this: like Travis Walton seems to be very consistent. You know what I mean? And these guys again, they just seem like they're regular dudes. You know, yeah. I don't know. Unless we don't understand what the world was like in 1975 because we weren't alive yet. But, you know, it's like I don't know what would compel these guys that grew up or were living and working in this small Mormon town in Arizona to come up with this type of story. You know what I mean? And it also it's all like if that was Mike Rogers plan to hoax this thing, it it backfired. You know what I mean? And they got so much shit for this. And why would you come up with a story that you know could have ended, like, could have, like, led to your arrest? Five out of seven of these guys fucking moved out of that town to escape the harassment of being called a liar. They they changed their lives permanently. Yeah, yeah. Damage done. Some of them go, like, by different names now, too, I feel like, because it was in the... um, you're in the news so much, but okay. As we so, so Travis, often say, yeah, this isn't a member of a club that you want to be a part of, you know. Yeah, and Travis Walton is alive and well today. He's a frequent speaker and lecturer in the realm of ufology. Some of the surviving crew members are still in touch. Um, Bryce, I'm curious though. Yeah. Was this incident the end of Walton's experiences with UFOs? Well, dude, you know how this stuff goes with these experiencers. It's never just the one-off thing uh as a matter of fact in february 19th 1993 travis he's with his girlfriend and son 
Uh, and they're just coming out of a UFO MUFON conference in California, and they spot a black triangle UFO uh, right in the sky above them. And they see this single light turn into three separate lights and then stop directly over their car. Now, <clears throat> crazy. Travis had a, a personal experience that he was very hesitant to reveal, but um, he said that his two daughters and two sons were, were sound asleep. And this is many, many years after, uh, you know, he was abducted. And it's the middle of the night, and he just finds himself, he wakes up to himself running towards his son's room, half asleep. Like, he literally wakes up in motion, only to find out that he enters his room and his son was gasping for air. He had slipped through the top bunk rail and was being choked by a wooden bar. Now, Travis feels as though that they set him in motion and that he and possibly even his family is being, you know, monitored, protected even. And that's not the only thing. It goes back further to, to... to when the incident even happened before he was abducted years and years earlier when he was just a child he recalls that while he was asleep on a sleeping bag in the hallway during a summer in phoenix something lifted his feet he woke up he looked up and there was a little man pale white (laughs) skin huge eyes hairless wearing a black suit travis screamed the creature dropped him and took off running that's right. I think we talked about that last we episode. We did. We did. So crazy. But when asked, when 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 cornered about it, Travis really kind of feels he believes in the non-interference directive. I believe that's from Star Trek and believes that these beings are benign. Yeah. In fact, like we mentioned, he believes the aliens were never trying to harm him, but that the blue beam of light that blasted him was a mistake and they picked him up to save his life. To him, it was almost as if the entire thing was an act of divine intervention. In that way, Travis was killed and resurrected. Hence, Kenneth, one of the other crew members, believing that this whole encounter was some kind of symbolic act by the aliens representing the Phoenix myth. Incredible. UFOs are nothing new. People have reported seeing strange objects in the sky as far back as man can remember. If you go online, you can look up UFOs and you'll see that in North America alone, there are approximately 12,000 sightings a year. And that only represents 10% of the reported sightings. 90% don't even report it. Not that every one of those sightings are of a legit extraterrestrial nature, but lest I remind you, all it takes is one white crow to prove that not all crows are black. One. In other words, it only takes just one of those reports to be the real deal, and that changes everything. Same goes for Bigfoot. Sorry, I had to throw the big guy in there as well. Is it so hard to fathom that if these things do exist, that their technological prowess would far surpass our own? I mean, after all, it only took mankind 69 years to go from horse-drawn carriages to landing on the moon. 69, baby. That's where we get that position. Baby. That's, That's right. where the sexual... Every time you're, you're performing mm-hmm. a 69 sex act, you you're actually celebrating walks. man's mm-hmm. progress from horse-drawn carriages to landing on the moon. Yeah, that's it's right. Beautiful. It's beautiful. Mm-hmm. And why is it so hard to believe that if aliens do exist with their ships equipped with powerful tractor beams, that it would be no problem whatsoever to beam us aboard? 
Examine us, tag us, and send us back on our merry little way. It's easy for skeptics to claim that the absence of evidence is evidence of absence. But that's a logical fallacy. I'm sure it's easier to sleep at night thinking that we humans are the masters of our universe and that we have the power. Did you start watching He-Man while you were writing Yeah, we're collecting the toys again and watching He-Man. Sorry, I had to throw that shit in there. (laughs) You know, that it's just impossible that some outsider could slip by us undetected, to which I say, buddy, you better go get regressed. And with that, we come to the end of our two-part deep dive into the abduction of Travis Walton, leaving us to ask, Riley, what the hell was that? I believe it. I believe him. I believe him. And and I believe it. You guys, you got me. Like, it's just... With the the polygraphs and the consistency and just the questioning the motives and the way it all played out and the beard growth and the weight loss and I don't know it just sounds like that dude got picked up by a spaceship yeah I I don't know what else to make of it other the potential of the hoax just like doesn't make sense Mm -mm. like why would you ruin your life like and remember there you go simple motive. It came yeah. from like the like Mister like the Agent Smith of debunkers. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. Philip J. Class was like the stuffiest stuffed shirt, you know, and might have been working uh, with the government to crush these stories because they didn't want uh, any of this stuff getting out. I don't know. Um, I mean, could it be some sort of MK Ultra? You know. CIA mind ops program and then maybe that in, in, you know is why we're talking about you know the government then trying to keep the the word down maybe I mean it's possible yeah that's there's there's a precedent yeah I think we uh, all agree something took place and and it wasn't just some hoax perpetrated by these these loggers no that I can <clears throat> rule out yeah you know yeah. Our, one of my favorite quotes as we've learned on this podcast is belief is the enemy and they was by John Keel. And that goes for debunkers as well. It sounds like this class guy just had it in his mind. He believed fully. This couldn't have, this didn't happen. And I'm going to set out to prove it didn't. I don't care what I have to do or whose life I have to destroy. You know, he had made up his mind, but, uh, well, he yeah. was, and also like if he was working for the government, like the NSA, then he was well, then he just had a job hired to be, to he was just yeah. hired to be an agent of destruction and yeah. didn't have any personal, personal stake in it whatsoever you know i'd like to learn more about him because he pops up in other stories he's you know he's sort of an a ufologist baddie so um it'd be interesting to to learn more about him uh he's sort of like the uncool uh heineck (laughs) you know he's the he's the guy who didn't get hip like heineck got hip totally yeah Mm. Um, I was I was I was disappointed that the aliens didn't talk to him at all. Yeah, had right. Nothing to tell him. Nothing. Very it's, rude. These yeah, aliens. You know. Yeah. No. Like I want to tell me about the impending collapse and you know how love can heal the world and all that. Like give me some of that. I the telepathic they showed them their CS you know? garage. They were like, Yeah, look at our classic saucer garage. He basically showed them <laughs> alien jet skis. Honestly, yes. <laughs> like that he had parked in the garage, but he won't even talk to him. Just, I, I really do feel like he was sort of this was a like wounded animal situation where they're like, yeah, 
he's, he's just, just trying, trying to calm to, him down. Yeah, we're just look at these to, sick jet skis, yeah. Travis. <laughs> it's like when cool. You, we're cool, bro. It's like when you bring a possum inside your house, you know, that's Dude, dehydrated so and then true. it runs all over the place. And then Dude, the possum's this, in the yeah. garage, and he's like, "Look at these! What are these weird things?" You know. Yes. And then you're like, yeah. "Have to bring the possum. You got to put a little ma- gas mask on the possum and put him back to sleep." That's all this is, Michael. That's exactly right. Do you guys ever follow that Instagram page, the Dodo, where it's of all course. about rescuing mm-hmm. animals and animal love and animal care? And I mean, we're all animal lovers, but nothing warms my heart than seeing like some little animal picked up taken out of its comfort zone and somewhere else rescued, rehabilitated, and then set back into the place where it came from. And that's the story of Travis Walton. All right. Well, boys, did we do it? We did it. We did it. We done did it. We done did it. Uh, Tell us what you think about this episode and this story in the comment section of our Instagram at Bigfoot Collectors Club. Uh, Thank you guys so much for listening to the show. Uh, This was a blast. We'll be back next week with another all-new episode and another trip into the stankiest part of wet, hot, alien summer to <laughs> summer abduction. Before we leave, More gentlemen, do you have every time. anything, <laughs> anything to, uh, anything, anything keep going, to keep plug, going. anything to plug? Uh. That's a no. All right, everybody. We'll see you next week. Until then, good night. And go get regress. Travis! Travis! Come on, bud. Come on, bud. Come on, bud. Bigfoot Collectors Club is produced by Riley Bray. Our theme song is Come Alone by Sun Eaters, courtesy of Lotus Pool Records. If you like the show, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It really helps get the podcast to more listeners. To support the show, check out our Patreon page at patreon.com backslash Bigfoot Collectors Club and unlock multiple reward episodes every month. On a summer night, Douglas Wagg Jr. lay motionless across a strip of railroad tracks before being struck by an oncoming train. I'm investigative journalist Delia D'Ambra, and my investigation into exactly how Doug died took me into the depths of a bizarre mystery. It was really hard to understand what was fact and what wasn't. A mystery that has led me from one suspicious death to another. Listen to CounterClock now, wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey, this is Eric Malinsky, host of the podcast Imaginary Worlds. Each episode, I explore different sci-fi fantasy genres, talking with filmmakers, novelists, game designers, cosplayers, comic book artists, and anyone who works in the field of make-believe. I also look at the fan experience, asking, why do we suspend our disbelief? You can subscribe to Imaginary Worlds wherever you get your podcasts.